Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theater Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. We're joined today by Andrea Martin, who is a Tony-winning actress. You may remember a few years ago in my favorite year, currently appearing on Broadway in Fiddler on the Roof as Golda, uh, who is known as Tevye's wife, of course. Welcome, Andrea. How are you? I'm wonderful. What a beautiful voice. Well, no wonder you're you. sitting there and I'm doing Sesame Street. No wonder. It all makes sense now. Well, we'll get to Sesame Street later. We'll get to SCTV later and right, all that. Right, right. But your latest endeavor is now you joined the cast of Fiddler back in January. Yep. And uh, eight times a week you're playing Golden. Right. In Fiddler on the Roof. Right. How is that going? Well, it's going really beautifully, actually. Harvey Farstein, I think, is a huge following, and so people are coming, and they're really enjoying it. And uh, uh, you know, I listen. I'm so thrilled that I can be a part of something that the uh, uh, um, where the three creators are, you know, living, and I get to meet them, and you know. hear stories from 50 years of this production being done. It's really thrilling. And I feel quite honored. did you have to audition honored. for them? Did you? Um, you know, I did have to audition. I wouldn't say it was for them as much as for David Laveau. They were really familiar with me, but David wasn't because he's from England. And um, he didn't know me, so and, and, I, and, and, I had to. And he's, he's the director. He's the director. Yeah, David right, Laveau right. is the director, yep. And is that beneficial? Because certainly for people in America, whether with your stage work or going back to the TV work, What's it like going up to, to audition before a director after your, all of your experience who, who didn't know, to be honest, some of your characters that so many of us are so familiar with? Um, you know, in, in uh, one way, it's a blessing that he didn't know um, any of the characters because I, I think when you come in with preconceived knowledge about um, someone's career, especially if they're, they've gone in a d- different direction or they're trying to, um, it's very hard to get past what your – preconception is. So he had no preconception. He just took me on face value and I was excited to audition, excited to um, show him and frankly myself what I could do with the part. And, uh, you know, my ego wasn't involved. Why should he know me? I was thrilled to be there. I felt confident I could do it. And um, it was great that he didn't know me before, really. Now, you mentioned your excitement of being able to work on a show where the creators are still with us on this planet. Did you work with them as you were getting into the role? The show had already been running for some time, but then you came into the show at the same time that Harvey Firestein did. Mm-hmm. Did you then get to work with the creators in, in forming it? You know, I think they've got it down. Um, there, there must be a formula that the creators stay out of it and really give David and the musical director, Kevin Stites, freedom because um, maybe they consulted before, uh-huh. but they certainly weren't in, in the rehearsal period and only were there for the, um, I think, a run-through and then they've been there for opening night with only positive, um, encouraging things to say, only, really, nothing critical and uh, just so appreciative that the show is being revived in a way that they like. So. Whenever we talk to people who are go- who've gone into a show that's already running, it's always interesting to hear what the process was. Now, obviously, you had the benefit. It wasn't just you going into a role. You and Harvey were going in together. How much time did you have together to work on this and how much time did you have with the rest of the company who were really all the continuing company from the show? It was the two of you going in mm-hmm. to an existing team. How did, how did that work for you? Um, we had about four hours a day, maybe four days a week with David Laveau. Um, neither one of us would have 
uh, really taken this on without the director, just two encompassing parts to mm-hmm. to do um, without the history of where it was and how his what his vision was, and we really wanted to re-explore it, and he was very generous with that within the logistics of it because obviously the show had been going for a year. So we had maybe three and a half weeks together, and then we had a couple of days with the cast. Um, so it was it was quick, but I think we felt um, quite prepared. Actually, it was very intense. It was um, really, in one way, it was very positive because there were just two of us. It was just focus on us. It wasn't having to focus on thirty five members and all their needs. And we know that actors are needy, my friends. So it was just Harvey's and my needs, which were sufficient to fill four and a half hours. Now, when you went into the show, it was obviously running with Alfred Molina and Randy Graff in the two lead roles. Did you see the show or did you want to stay away from it? In other words, did you see those performances? Right. I really wanted to stay away from it because I'm so desperately impressionable. (laughs) Um, Harvey, on the other hand, really uh, liked seeing it so he could get a sense of what the movement was on stage. Um, So I resisted until two days before we were to go in and David asked me if I would see it. He thought it would um, help since we didn't have a lot of time with the cast. And in fact, it was really helpful. And Randy and I are so different that actually a couple of things she did were very helpful and I stole them so but um, (laughs) it was an interesting approach that you saw that you had all of that time in the rehearsal room to work on your character and so when you went in and saw it it was as much about the machinery of what was going on on stage and the entrances and the exits and where the people interacted with each other you're absolutely right it wasn't developing a character it wasn't creating a character it wasn't like I sat in from the beginning like I got the part and now see Randy every day for three weeks no had you – I know that you had done a lot of summer stock and things when you, um, early in your career. Was Fiddler a show you'd ever encountered before to perform in or this no, is totally No, I'd never time? seen Fiddler before actually. Never seen it? I'd never seen it. N- and n- never saw the movie either? No, never saw the movie. Oh my god! I resisted looking at the movie. I did. Obviously not a Jewish girl. No, I'm an Armenian girl <laughs> from Portland, Maine. Um, I did Marat Saad. Would that count? Is there a Marat Saad the musical? I could play Simone, whatever her name is in it. Um I never saw Fiddler. No, never, never saw it. Never was done in summer stock where I was growing so, up. When you first saw the script, the first read through, what was your first impression of it? Um, gosh, what was my first impression? I mean, here, here you're being asked to play a Jewish woman who yeah. is so bound by the traditions <laughs> of her religion. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm Armenian, and I come, and my family's all Armenian, and certainly we share a lot of history with the Jews, um, being um, ostracized and killed, and um, you know, genocides committed against us, and having to live, leave a country, um, leave our families behind. So I understood that history, understood the weight mm-hmm. of what that was. And I looked at Golda not as somebody New York Jewish. I really looked at her as Russian Jewish. And from that, I could really take from my own background. So that's how I approached it, really. And, you know, I wasn't familiar with um, Zero Mostel. I wasn't uh, familiar with the different um, incarnations of it. So uh, I, I really just started from uh, you know who what, what who I am as as Andrea, and what could I bring to it that way? Well, if you put aside the the Jewish aspect, it's really a story about family and family values and family relationships. It, it so, sure is. It's a so, it's yeah. a story about um, love. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, families were everything to 
uh, these communities, these shtetls. It was everything, and especially for the um, female. You know, she did um, everything around the house. The father read the holy book, and um, mm-hmm. you know, picked the decided what kids were going to marry whom. But the mother really ran the house, and um, and it was all about love and survival and getting these children married so that they could survive in a world because they had nothing. So I understood that. And I'm a mm-hmm. mom. I have two children. Yeah. I understood what. Um, investing in your children is and really that's all that matters when you have children really that's all mm-hmm. that matters so I understood that it's so interesting because as you say you, you didn't know the material and you were approaching it fresh I'm reminded of um, when I saw Trevor Nunn's Oklahoma which of mm-hmm. course you did here in the US when I saw it for the first time over in England what struck me was it was an English director approaching a text totally as a text without the cultural baggage that's built up over the years about you know because Americans they've seen it in their high schools they've done it in college they've they've got it and so and of course David's approach to Fiddler was not to simply replicate the Fiddler that we've known. I'm curious as to your experience working with these British directors mm. on such <laughs> American texts. Even though yeah. Fiddler may be may be set in Russia, it is it is in the classic musical theater American idiom. What was it like working with these guys on this material? Um, well, uh, you know, um, <laughs> that's a big question. How do we I have time. An- how do I answer that in, in a kind of a, a short way? You know, the way that we communicate as Americans, um, body language, and 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 um, and. Uh, animated and uh, touching and uh, telling stories and, um, you know, emotionally present and emotionally available and, you know, is not what British people are normally. They're intellectual, they're cerebral. Um, So I think once you can get over the way that we naturally communicate as a culture, then I think we're all speaking the same language because, we all want the stakes to be high in the play. We all want to entertain. We all want to tell a good story. We all want to be um, respectful to the way the story was written. So I think there's a way in which to have a dialogue that is is difficult in the beginning. Um, you know, I, you know, do, do you get me? Do you think I'm funny? Do I get you? What are you really thinking? Those are the kind of things that you have. That for me, I I just have to take my time and know that it's not going to be the same kind of interaction. Once you get over that and aren't looking for the same um, triggers or the, you know, the same responses, then I think you just get into the material. So um, it takes a few days to uh, get adjusted in that way, if you understand what I'm talking about. Sure. Yeah. Now, in, in Fiddler, you're mm-hmm. playing Golda, the mother who has daughters of an age to be married. So Golda's not a young woman anymore. You played Aunt Eller in Oklahoma. You played the old lady in Candide. There's, <laughs> there's a certain theme going on here. Do you specialize in that? Or is well, that just the way it's happened? Well, you pick three things that I guess, <laughs> you know, are were older people, although, you know um, – the old lady didn't have to really be older than 45 and Aunt Eller certainly in those days could be 45, 47 and Golda should be 45 or whatever. Um, Do you know what I'm saying? So really it's age appropriate. Now in between those plays, you know, I I did um, The Rose Tattoo and I did Matchmaker and um, you know, I'm a mature woman but I I don't (laughs) think it it, it, it's, you know, I'm not going to play a 22-year-old 
But I think there's been variety in what I've played. I guess I did play an older Greek woman, too, in my big fat Greek wedding. Huh. Well, maybe I'm just playing my <laughs> age. I don't know. It's not even old. I mean, what's, what's you know, they're all great character roles and right. they're all, you know, as you say, you may stop and think of them. In fact, I, I seem to recall um, you spoke a number of years ago about the fact that when you did The Old Lady the first time in Candide, uh-huh. when you did it up at the Stratford Festival, that you were even trying to play the sexiness of the character. Yes. So, yeah. so there's all different different ways to approach well, it. Well, I don't think any of these people, any of these women are, um, you know, maybe chronologically their age is up there, but certainly I believe they're vital and vibrant and sensual and sexual. And if Golda had any time... Um, you know, in uh, between a pogrom and her children needing to be married and a husband that's, you know, daydreaming all day. And uh, if she had any time to think about a relationship or a love, I think she would. But uh, because I think that's still part of her. So that's why I think that song, Do You Love Me, is so touching, really. Because I, I don't think of these people as dried up and dead, nor did I, frankly, think of Aunt Eller like that. Um, well, what always survival, struck me, what I struck me in, uh, in, in, Trevor Nunn's production was how central he made Aunt Eller, which mm. was not how I'd seen the role before. It's really quite extraordinary that really mm. she is the conscious and conscience in the center of that town. I do want to ask, you mentioned uh, Rose Tattoo, which mm. was certainly – I didn't have a chance to see it. But when I heard about it, I thought, that's really interesting casting. Mm. Um, tell us about working on that show. Uh, up at the Huntington Theater in Boston. Yes, we should make sure we plug yes, the Huntington. Huntington Theater in Boston with a glorious Nicky Martin who said to me, he's a good friend of mine. I'd done Betty Summer Vacation for him there. And um, and did he also direct he the matchmaker up at Williamstown yes, that you yes, did? Yes, so. yes, And he just directed um, Midsummer Night's Dream where I played Robin Starveling, the tailor and the mechanicals up there to just have fun after the rose tattoo, which oh, was so intense. So. Um, you know, I was saying to him in many conversations, oh, gosh, will anybody ever take me seriously? Will I ever be able to play anybody that is so – has so much depth? And and he said, I want you to play Serafina Della Rose in um, Rose Tattoo. And I said, Nikki, I'm not up for that. This was two years before I did it. He said, I believe in you. And then I met with Andre Bishop. And um, Andre's always been uh, – kind and uh, supportive of me since my favorite year, which I did at Lincoln Center. And he said, you'd be a fool not to do that. You'll be wonderful. And so for two years, I worked on it. I'm re- I really mean I worked on it. I went to Italy. I lived there for a while. I took Italian lessons. I um, work with an acting coach. I spent um, a few afternoons with Eli Wallach and having him reminisce about the rose tattoo. Really such beautiful, memorable stories from that experience in The Rose Tattoo. And, uh, oh, I read about Anna Magnani. I read every book about Tennessee Williams. It was, I felt like I was doing a master's course, really, or going back to college. Mm-hmm. And and then I did it. And, uh, you know, there wasn't, Andrea Martin was nowhere to be seen on that stage, I can tell you. And I loved it and got you know, dare I say, it was very well received. And you know what, Howard, it was a miracle because honestly, coming from SCTV, coming from sketch characters, I was fodder for a lovely review. What 
does she think she's doing? Yes, she can be quirky and funny, but she thinks she can do it on a Mon- And not one person said that. Mm. In fact, somebody even said I was better than Anna Magnani. Oh my that gosh. was nice. Well, she weren't married because it made <laughs> a play for him. <laughs> so, anyway, it was extraordinary. And, I'm gonna, and I talk about this because, you know, for, for actors that are listening out there, and, you know, I'd come from comedy and, oh, my God, I've had a lot of success in comedy. But I was determined to change the direction of my career and I was tired of blaming everybody that I met, agents and and casting directors. and that's, Why can't they see me? Because, frankly, I couldn't see me doing it. And I had to believe that I could do it. And um, I think that's an important message for actors that we want to blame everybody, but really the, it, it starts with our belief in ourselves. Can we really visualize that we could play a part like that? And And I just wanted to. And you've had to, in an odd way, you've had to do that a couple of times because on the one hand, as you say, you've played comedy and you need to get people to see that you can do drama. But of course, even when you embarked for most people and what most people were aware of in your stage career, really beginning with My Favorite Year, people had no idea that before SCTV, you had all of this musical theater experience. Right. So let's jump back to that. Okay. And, and I mean, you were doing places like the Kenley Players in Ohio yeah. and all these places. <laughs> but But I think Let's let's go right to that kind of seminal production of Godspell in uh, Canada, which yeah. which was so important ultimately for so many people. Do you, can you talk a little about that production? Sure, I can. It was 1970, and I just came to Toronto after doing You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I graduated from college and toured in the country with You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, landed in Canada. Playing who, uh, Lucy, Brown. Lucy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was a combination of being too scared to be in New York, and I was a big fish in a small pond in Toronto, and I was going out with Linus, and he was from Toronto. So I mm-hmm. landed in Toronto and stayed there for 18 years, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And Godspell was the first place that I got started in, really. And in that company was Gilda Radner and... Um, Martin Short and Eugene Levy and Dave Thomas and Victor Garber was who is now my best friend. Uh, Jesus and Paul Schaefer was our musical director, and um, you know we're all still friends. Those of us who are still alive, kind Chris Gilda's gone. Yeah. yeah, but you you tapped into a particular community in Toronto at that time, right. which really was one of the great nexuses of comedy in the nineteen. It turned into one of the great nexuses of comedy in the late seventies. That's true. Right around the same time as, as Saturday Night Live. It was, was right really before Saturday Night Live. Really, I think that Gilda came out of Second City uh, in Toronto. We were all doing it together, and although she was doing it first, then I actually replaced that company. But from Toronto for Saturday Night Live came. Um, um, Bill Murray and um, John Belushi and Gilda Radner and they were all in Second City. And John Candy. And John Candy didn't do Saturday Night Live. He guested on it, mm-hmm. but he right, did. Right, a right. Set, you know, I'm talking about Saturday Night Live. I hope right. I'm not forgetting people. Right. And then out of that came SCTV. Right. Mm-hmm. And on SCTV, you were more than just a performer. I mean, up till this time, you'd really been a performer. But right. SCTV, you all. Everybody who was performing that show was writing that stuff. And was that your first experience writing? It was my first experience, yes. And, and it should have been my last because it nearly killed me. But no, I couldn't take no for an answer. But was it a case of just you all knew each other and everybody said, okay, we can do this, and so suddenly you were a writer? It wasn't that you, you, you had to 
make a case for yourself as a writer no, in no, this no. process? No, no, no. You know, we all came out of Second City, and Second City is, uh, you know, based on improvisation. So we all had improvisational ability. That The only difference was could we sit down and write it down on a piece of paper. So we all knew what it was to think on our feet and create comedy and – and we just had to do it in a more formulistic way. It must, must have been a lot of fun for you in those days because you were getting started in your career. And right. here you were involved in something which really had no rules. You were able to do whatever you wanted and be part of the creative as well as the performing aspect. Yes, it was. It spoiled us. And then we had to be in the real world when, you know, people wouldn't li- – when you'd get a sitcom script mm-hmm. and say, no, I think it could be this way. And the writers would say, no, you're going to do it the way it is. So it was a hard adjustment, you know. I, I think I burned a lot of bridges, actually. Could, could, could those days exist nowadays, do you think? In, improv? They do exist. But, but I mean in terms of the success of SCTV back then. Well, my gosh, look what, look what Curb Your Enthusiasm and um, I'm trying to think of other improvised shows. I think there are a, a There's a lot of, of them. They're trying to that do are trying. them and not, as, not necessarily as successfully. So successfully. There's, you know, there's been a number of things on HBO, K Street, and of course a show called Unscripted right now. Right, right, um, right. That are all trying that approach, but it's it's a different style certainly than right. than what it was in the SCTV days. You know, I don't think variety works so much anymore. I guess it's kind of improving, but everything's cyclical. It'll probably come back mm-hmm. again. I'm not that we have any desire to get together again. I think we were so happy where it ended beautifully, and I don't think we have any desire to um, have reunions or get, you know get back again. We've now, all kind of branched out. Now the role you're in now, Golda in uh, in Fiddler. It's yes. not a comic part at all. And you said earlier you wanted to show that you could be a serious actress as well. Uh, Do you have uh, thoughts about going back to comic acting in the future? Well, I think Golda probably is a comic acting, um, actually. Really? Or comic. Well, well, let me say this. It's an opportunity to be funny um, as well as uh, poignant and touching and deep. I think there's an opportunity, frankly, because the script is so darn good. Mm. You know, any good script can offer you all those channels. And um, so I I hope I'm finding a balance in it. It feels like I'm – that's what we are bringing to it. Um, I was at Joe Allen's, um, which is a famous theater, hangout in New York City and um, the other night and a woman had seen the matinee and said, you made me laugh and you made me cry. Thank you so much. And mm. I thought, you know, all my life I wanted to hear you made me laugh, you made me cry. What more could somebody want? So, um, you know, it's not comic in a presentational way. Mm-hmm. It's not like my favorite year or um, the producers. Right. It's certainly um, funny within the situations, and God knows there are funny lines in it, but sure. it's not talking out to the audience and doing a one-liner. Golda isn't. I think Tevye right. is more. He connects more with the audience. Right, right. Well, just the, some, certain of the, the the monologues that he has, or the dialogues with God, shall we say, right. lend themselves to that, certainly. Definitely. Yeah. But we have exchanges, and oh, there's some funny lines that um, have been written for Golda, so... Yeah. Tell us about my favorite year. Now, you won the Tony for that as Best Actress in a Musical. Right. And how was that? That was your first real Broadway experience, and you win a Tony. Yeah. It was terrific. That was good. How do you make that happen? Well, look, I'll jump in. It's a project (laughs) that I I knew because I had some friends involved with it. And to be perfectly honest, and it was long before I was associated with the American Theater Wing or ever thought I would be, and I saw your performances in the workshops Mm -hmm. of that show in rehearsal rooms in the basement of Lincoln Center and came out of there and told friends – 
I've just seen the Tony Award winning performance for Best uh, Supporting Actress. Wow. You you had you had found that character and perhaps they'd been writing it to your strengths. Mm. You were there right away. It mm. was amazing to me. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I did find a niche there. I, I think they later on certainly Lynn and Stephen really wrote a wonderful song right before we opened um, when they got to know me, which was a, such a tribute, really. Um, I don't know. You know, I was I had no preconceived ideas and no baggage and no expectations. Uh, my kids were, you know, 11 and 13, and I really came to New York to take care of my dear friend who was very sick with um, AIDS. And I really, I was there for him. And the icing on the cake was um, doing the play. I, I came for him because he always wanted to see me in a play and um, musical, and you know, I was raising my children in LA. So the opportunity came up, and I said to their dad, I want to be there. I don't know how much longer my friend is going to be alive. And I guess really every bit of work should be approached that way without any expectations, just for the sheer. sheer um, opportunity to do it. Now, since then, of course, I'm completely jaded and cynical and go into each project thinking, will this get me a Tony? That's a terrible thing. <laughs> but in those days, you know, I had no expectations. So it was just really for the pure joy of it, really. Wouldn't really. I mean, you saw that in the basement of the Lincoln Center, you know, so it there must you have go. It been kind of bittersweet. Here your friend was dying of AIDS mm-hmm. and you had to be funny every day in the show and do uh, funny material. Yeah. Well, I think it made him so happy uh-huh. and he actually um, lived to see um, me in a rehearsal and uh-huh. – uh, I just think, you know, he had done every musical on Broadway. He'd done – his name was Claude Tessier. He was my friend from Canada. And he'd done Evita and Les Mis and Chorus Line and Cats and everything. Mm, wow. And all – because we met in Canada doing musicals there. And he just – it was his dream for me to come to Broadway where he thought I belonged. So it it wasn't so bittersweet, actually. I was so grateful for his love and support. Mm-hmm. Or I think I probably would have been scared. Mm-hmm. But because mm-hmm. he was there with me – it was a beautiful, beautiful experience, really. Well, there were a number of songs that you were performing on in the show, but there's one about a duck that comes to yeah. mind. Oh, <laughs> can, can, you, can you set this up for us? Yeah, t- oh. t- tell us, tell us and, what's is, going and is on. this indeed the song that you were referring to that Stephen and Lynn no, wrote no, for you? That, no, no, the song that they no, that was in the script. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I was in the script way before I got there. No, the song that they wrote for me actually was called "Professional Show Business Comedy," and they wrote it literally two days before our first preview or it could have even been in previews. I can't even remember. Um, They were so generous to do that. The Duck song, the Duck was a song in which the experienced writer, comedy writer, tries to teach the young ingenue how to tell a joke. It's brilliant comedy writing, really. So well, funny. Well, we were going to play that, but would you prefer we play professional no, I think show you business should comedy? Do, I think you okay. should do the duck um, <laughs> because I, I think that is just a brilliant piece of comedy writing. I think you should do that. From my favorite year, that's Alice Miller. That's the character's name, Andrea Martin, the actress's name. Convenient, they have the same monogram. They have to change your monogram. Same initials, AM. <laughs> <laughs> I have a coffee cup from that show with AM. It's good. Yeah. Works both ways yeah. for the character and for you. Yeah. My favorite year. 
congratulations on the Tony for that. Thank I you. neglected to mention a couple other Tony nominations that you had. You had one for Candide as a Best Featured Actress in a Musical, also for Aunt Eller in uh, the revival in 2002 of Oklahoma. I was there one night early in the run. And the first person we saw on stage was you as Aunt Eller at the butter churn. Right. We see the corn stalks in the background. Then Curly comes walking out from the corn stalks saying, oh, what a beautiful morning. Yeah. And the way it was set up in the theater was there was a, a scrim on the front downstage around the front of the stage, which then got pulled back to reveal Curly walking out. And you know what I'm going to say because you, you have it this look on your face. That night. that night it got stuck halfway around. Oh Curly my. was behind the scrim. Aunt Eller, you were out there earnestly pumping. Uh-huh. The churn up and down, and Curly in his mind is thinking, when is the scrim going to finish opening? <laughs> and you could see off in the wings the stagehands tugging it, trying to get to uh, What was going on in your mind as the scrim hung up at the opening of the show? What was going on was, do I know how to improvise within the context of this show? How do I improvise as Aunt Eller is what was going on. That's Furiously what, churning just, away. Yeah, churning away, do I say... Well, I wish I knew where Curly was. Well, look at the I didn't know what to do, but they fixed it, thank God. That's what about I was thinking. halfway into the number. Yes, that's right. Just as he got the line about, oh, what a beautiful morning. Boy, did he deliver that line. Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Patrick oh, Wilson, right, great. right, right. And they somehow got that thing to miraculously open. And the show was fine after that. Yes. And you were so good as Aunt Eller. Thank you. Were you were a true Aunt Eller, oh. as everybody would want an Aunt Eller to be, I think. Oh, yeah. that's nice. I. Yeah. I really love doing that show. And it was a great Rodgers and Hammerstein music, too. It, it was beautiful music, um, just to be able to do that every night. I was so happy doing that show. It's the longest I've ever done a show. Normally, I like to get out in four or five months, but I stayed there for nine months. My did, gosh. Why do you like to get out? Well, you know, I, I, I think that I'm not as good after a while. I, I think if, I don't like it when I'm just doing routine. I, I like to... I put a lot into every night, and I like to invest it with something new. And, you know, after a while, I think, I don't know if I can do anything new. And I, I don't want to just go through the motions because I don't think I'm doing a good performance. So that's when I want to leave. But, so what happened with Aunt Eller? How- well, you know, it was a really great acting exercise, acting challenge. Every night I would think of a different challenge that Aunt Eller would have to do and realize that I had to stay on top of it or, or Lori wouldn't have a life. And uh, <laughs> and if it wasn't for Aunt Ella, she'd be alone. And so just that kept me um, – kept the stakes very high for me as they are, frankly, in um, – in Fiddler on the Roof, you know. And well, with the, either of those characters, either Golder and Eller and the others, as you get further into the run, mm. how do you keep it fresh and alive? In other words, you said as Aunt Eller, you'd have to think of different challenges for her. Right. What, what examples of different challenges that you could do without affecting the other performers in the show? Oh, you know, they're internal. They're what we do in our own life to uh-huh. um, just get through a day. You know, you're tired one day. What do you have to do? You have to say... Okay, if I don't get through, if I if I if I'm too tired, I'm not going to be good on the air, and then I'm not going to have a job, and then how am I going to retire to Tahiti or whatever the hell you do? Or if I'm not good today, it's going to affect my partner, and that's not fair to him. Or if I'm not good today, then I won't have confidence in my whatever you do. You know, we can think of a million things. So, and sometimes it's just reinventing the same thing. You know, for Fiddler, it's 
if I do not keep this together, certainly my husband isn't, what's going to happen to our daughters? One's 20. She's not married. How are they going to live? We're eating potatoes. There's no money. How the hell? You know, I have to do that, really, to keep it alive for me. So it isn't so much changing what you're doing on stage. It's more no, in your mind, psyching, com- psyching yourself up, it's, you know, it's getting what, motivated. It's, motiv- it's motivation, motivation, I think. Yeah, uh-huh. right. No, no, no. I would never change anything on stage. Oh, dear. No. I, I thought maybe Aunt Ella churned the butter from the other side of the churn or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I'd be thinking different things or maybe the same thing but in a different way. But, uh-huh. um, you know, that's, that's I think, the difference between uh, acting in something and performing in it. Um, okay. You know, with with performing something, the connection really is between you and the audience. So uh, – with acting something, it's really between you and the other actor, and uh, so the yeah. the the motivation's a little different. Without naming names, mm-hmm. have there been situations where you haven't been terribly fond of the other actors that you're against, and then how do you keep your performance looking good? Maybe this is hypothetical. It's maybe you've loved every actor you've oh, ever worked with. But. Well, I, you know, some you know, I'm sure some actors would say they haven't liked working with me. Well, that's a very good question. I'm going to answer. It. I'm going to hope to answer it. Diplomatically. Um, no, I'm not, it's not diplomatic. I'm going to tell you that it was a question that I asked my, my um, acting coach. And he told me about Lorette Taylor, who I don't know how many people remember Lorette Taylor. Um, but uh, she was an extraordinary actress that not many people saw. But she people that did see her in Glass Menagerie. She created the created role. Created the role in Glass Menagerie. Um, if you ask them today... Who, what their favorite performance was in their life, they will tell you Lorette Taylor in Glass Menagerie. She was a consummate actress. And what she would do is um, if she didn't like working with another actor, if she didn't think the other actor was giving her anything, she would empower them with all the qualities that that character had to have. She would empower them with that. And that's how she would see them, not what they weren't giving, but all the things they were giving. And that's what I try to do. But I'll tell you, it is a challenge when, you know, maybe personally, you're not mm-hmm. you're not right, fond right. of that person's, um, uh, I don't know, professionalism or the, their process or whatever. Or just but them. Just them. Person, I yeah. like most people. But, you know, everybody has different ways of working. It, it certainly hasn't happened um, a lot, you know, but uh, that's it's a great thing to be able to keep in mind. So. It's interesting that you mentioned Lorette Taylor. Right. Did you happen to see that uh, documentary movie? I the sure summer, did. Broadway, The Golden Age. Oh, my gosh. And actor after actor mentioned Lorette, Lorette Taylor. Lorette Taylor. Yeah. And then you saw the screen test that she did. And what's it called, the movie again? 40, 20 Seconds to Broadway? or Something like that, yeah. Okay. It's a documentary that if you ever get a chance to see in the country, you really – have to see, frankly, just for the screen test. So you hear all these people talking about Lorette Taylor and you're thinking, oh, for God's sakes, how could anybody be that good? And then they go to the screen test and it's kind of otherworldly. It's theatrical and yet the most real thing you've ever seen, you cannot tell that she's acting and yet it's theatrical. It, I actually have never seen anybody do that. Mm-hmm. It's it kind of transfer, transformational. Um, right. So I recall having a similar feeling when I saw the, the documentary, thinking, she seems so real. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And yet it's 
it's perform it's it's acting it's right absolutely. yeah it's absolutely. not just like we're talking and somebody's going to film us it's really she was infused with the character and it's extraordinary mm-hmm. as we're talking about your broadway credits we've we've glancingly touched upon but should talk about candide which you did in 1997 i believe it was um and you were going into it was how prince revisiting an extraordinary success of his from from uh Number of you about twenty five years earlier. Um, I actually saw that production that he did. It was so great. So, okay, so here's a case where you did know. The I material did know the material. And seen the great production, right? Yeah. So, and you yourself had been in a production of it. I think I mentioned earlier in Stratford when I was really young. Much, frankly, much too young to play the part. I think I was in my early twenties when I did, or twenty five or twenty six. Like I'm so bad with dates, but far too young to play that part. But with success. So when Garth Drabinsky asked me again, I thought, gee, here's an opportunity to maybe now that I'm at the right age to do this. And um, I resisted, 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 resisted. And then Garth in his way convinced me because I had done it, you know. And mm-hmm. um, But not on Broadway. Not, not on with Broadway. Harold Prince. And not with Harold Prince. There you go. Yeah. And so when you went into it, it's interesting. This is now the second time in this conversation that you've talked about resisting roles. Right, right, right. right. Um, do, you, do you have to get talked into playing parts Sometimes. by yourself or by Very someone perceptive. else? Perceptive. You're not my therapist, are you? In disguise. <laughs> no, I'm You're not afraid. getting me to talk. Um, but would you like to talk about oh, it? Oh <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, I'm very indecisive about parts. Extremely indecisive. But then I heard Meryl Streep. If I may use you know my best friend's name, mm-hmm. say that every project she does, she believes before she does it that she can't do it, that she's made a big mistake, that somehow she's not going to be able to do it. So I don't know. I, I sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's um, probably most of the time it's fear. Um, sometimes I don't know, really know if it's the right career move. So I try to make decisions based on this. Is going to sound so new age, but who cares? Because how much longer am I going to be around, really? I might as well just say what I feel. <laughs> I try. I figure you can make two decisions. One could be based on fear, like if I don't do this, what's going to happen? If I don't do this, will I make any money? If I don't do this, will I ever ne- ever get another job? If I don't do this, will anybody ever ask me to do a job on Broadway? Or what can I bring to this? How can I be help this production? What can I do out of love for it? And so I try to make it out of the ladder and I never go wrong but sometimes I do it out of the former and I'm always sorry for it well from Candide there's a song that you do there called I Am Easily Assimilated yes I'd like to play that could you set up for us how that works in Candide yes. Candide of course based on on you know the, the Voltaire classic yes I can even remember some of the lyrics and I can't remember anything I was not born in Rovno Gubenia no wait I can't remember what happens in the play I just remember how I came across just roll the thing <laughs> from the revival of Candide in 1997 it was revived a few times that uh, the version where Andrea Martin played the old lady who may have been all of 45 <laughs> now the fellow sitting to my left, Howard Sherman, in a different life, wrote a magazine article in which he interviewed you about a decade ago. Uh-huh. And you told a story about how, and this goes back to my theme about playing older women. Yeah. Uh, 
you were at, I believe it was Stevens College at the time, and you were cast in Bye Bye Birdie as Mrs. McAfee, who was certainly older than a college student. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you were, yeah. Even at that age, you were cast as an older woman. Yeah, yeah. But you never got to play it. No. Why? Because I ran away from school, and what then I was do? put on social probation. You know, what was I doing Social probation. Social <laughs> probation. That's what I was put on. Great. Because I was going to an all... Do I strike you as someone that would be happy at an all-girls school with a 10 o'clock curfew and wearing <laughs> gloves to Vespers or church? No! Wrong match for me, my friend. Uh-huh. But I wanted to get away from Maine. You know, I grew up in Maine. I wanted to go as far away as possible. And I was a really bad student in high school. So I went to Stevens, which is a great school for the right person, truthfully, but not for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know, I ran away from school. You were sowing some wild oats or whatever. You know, it was a 69 dear. So we remember that was a, uh, you know, it was a pivotal time in all of our lives. Look what, what was happening in, in those days. So, um, yeah. So I never got to do it. But um, at Lake Okoboji in Iowa, that's where I was going to do it. But I never uh. did it. And then I went to Emerson the next year and actually did do musicals. I did um, Little Mary Sunshine. I played Matahar. Nancy Twinkle, that was the name of the character, and did other musicals there. So, mm-hmm. kind Ada of, Annie in Oklahoma. That's it, yeah. So Ada you, Annie, yeah. So. so I played young people in my life. Well, good. Some young people. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Well, yes. well, speaking of playing people in your life, I want to jump back to my role as your therapist and ask you about <laughs> your, your I'm not ex- paying you, you know. It's a sliding scale <laughs> that, when I do this. That's All fine. Right. The American yes. Theater Wing is a not-for-profit and we're happy to provide these services. <laughs> yes, my friend. But I do want to ask you about your one-woman show. All right. Which which you did off-Broadway where you played at times yourself. You played your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can tell me a little about putting that show together because the decision as somebody who, who has just said, you know, sometimes you agonize over taking a role. Yeah. Here was a decision to take a role you'd obviously been playing for, for a few years, namely yourself. Well, on the contrary, I think I took this role – I did this show to see if I could play myself. The truth is I hadn't been and that's why I did the one-woman show, to see if I – could be myself on stage. Could, did I think I was worthy? Did Would people find me as me without a leopard hat or glasses or a guitar or, I don't know, a lime green suit or whatever I did on SCTV? Could I be – could I feel confident without all those gadgets and props? And that was really the beginning of this journey to um, – you know, expand and frankly, Oklahoma really was the first. It was really pivotal. It was, and I think Trevor wouldn't have cast me if he'd known my background. Really, <laughs> I had a, I had to go through many auditions to get that part. Hmm. Um, and but how did you attack putting together that one woman my show? My one woman show um, with resistance, Doctor. There we are. Um, I went to Armenia to uh, live there for a while to rediscover my roots. Um, you really did? I did, yeah. Oh. went to Yerevan and uh, um, took lots of notes. And it was in a, um, a, politi- a huge political unrest. And in fact, that year that I was there, 1991, the summer, Gorbachev was kicked out. And that was the first time that Armenia or the – it didn't wasn't the Soviet Union anymore. And there was oh. independence. And oh. So it was a, a big – Big time in in um, uh, in Armenia, and so I I just you know I looked back and uh, saw people that looked like me you know grew up growing up in Maine nobody really I, I wasn't surrounded by my ancestors certainly and um, 
it was so moving. I thought I've got to really go through with this. So that's how it started. Um, and then Walter Bobby, who was my director, uh, would give me assignments and I'd have to fulfill them and write them. It was very difficult. And you had acted with Walter years earlier at Playwrights Horizons right. and She Loves Me. And but Yes, but the the way we reconnected is he was the director of Encores, the mm-hmm. original one. I don't think that's the title, the creator, the artistic director. Yeah, he was the artistic director at Encores. And I was doing um, Out of This World and we reconnected and um, – I was really scared. I'd been in L.A. raising my children, and he called me out of the blue and asked me if I'd come to New York to do this. Um, and I said, Walter, to I haven't do been the a, encore to show. do encore. Which is I only said, a two-week commitment from beginning Right, to but end. I hadn't been on stage for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was living in L.A. At this is after my favorite year, a long time after. I said, I don't think I can do it. I, I didn't even know what encores was, and he said, you've got to do it. It's right for you. So I came out, and we rehearsed, and then on opening night, um, I was backstage with him in my dressing room, and I said, Walter, I'm going to let you down, but I'm too scared. I don't think I can do it. I, I'm just too petrified. This is on, on opening night? On opening night. Which, which I was there. Okay. Every, every Every year on Thursday, opening All night. Right. I've always been there. Well, same seats. what was going on when you were finding <laughs> your seat, Fifth Row Center, was I was in my dressing room, and um, I said, Walter, just tell me one thing to let me to get me through this. Just tell me one thing. And he looked at me, and he said, Yes, just remember yes, and I will. I'm, I'm indebted to him forever for that. Um, and and so then that because of that experience, I thought he's a person I want to collaborate on my one person show. So I wrote and we workshopped. George Wolf gave us space at the Public Theater and believed in it, and we did it there and it was received beautifully. And then I did it in Montreal and Toronto, and then I did it in L.A. where it wasn't received very well. Um, and uh, and I completed it. It was a great cathartic experience, and I never want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Really, well, it was lonely. We're talking about uh, you being the Armenian girl from Portland, Maine. You've yeah. been described as a tornado walking into a room, a clown with a personality that shows through whoever you're playing. Oh. Paraphrasing. Who wrote that? I, I don't know. Howard? It's it, it's it, no, it's in Howard's article. Oh. Uh, but he's, he was quoting. Oh. Uh, how would you describe Andrea Martin? Who is Andrea Martin? How would you describe yourself? Um, Are you a tornado? Are you a clown? Yes, I think I'm all those things. Really. And? But I think the flip side, I think a real clown is one that can be a tra- tragedian and um, uh-huh. true sense of a clown, like Julietta Messina, Fellini's wife, I think is a clown. She also can break your heart. So that's what I would... Hope. If you had to do a couple bullet points to describe who you are, what would those four, five or six bullet points be? Um, Clown is already one of them. Okay. Um, deep, um, hmm. indecisive. Um, oh. um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I don't know. It's hard, isn't it, when you have to Put think you about spot. yourself? <laughs> yes, talk, I know. Talk about yourself for the next five minutes. Right, Go. right. <laughs> Our time is getting short, and I, uh, although it's John who keeps referencing the fact that you and I had spoken a number of years ago, when when we spoke, uh, for those of us who were fans, it was very frustrating that SCTV was not available 
uh, due to rights situations, and you could not go back and see these programs, which really dated from the late 70s and, and early 80s. And in the past year, basically, that material has become available again. Are you finding a new generation of fans? Are you finding people who are buying those DVDs and coming out that, that hadn't seen it before? And by the same token, have you even had a chance to go back and look at it? I don't know if, if you had had the opportunity to see it in a long time. Um, you know, I we got together, Catherine, we all got together and did commentaries for the DVD. Um, I did mine with Catherine. Um, Catherine O'Hara. Oh, Catherine O'Hara, who, by the way, that's a um, – does improvised movies. We can't forget Mighty Wind and um, mm-hmm. and uh, Best in Show and, and the tradition of Curb Your Enthusiasm or improv. My gosh, they're successful doing it in a film, which is brilliant. Um, so we did the commentary. I haven't seen those shows for a long, long time. We didn't even see them when we were doing the commentary. We just did saw scenes. I don't know who sees the DVDs, really. Um, I hope that they're selling. Uh I don't know if there's a new generation. My sense is that people that are buying the um, DVDs are my our generation, people that were familiar with it, that want the collection. Um, I don't know. I, I but it is it is out there. It's so out at the there. same time, you're seeing audiences as Golda. People can go back and and see you as Perini Scleroso they and can. all of these other characters. They can. The that pe- some the of things- us grew up with. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Well, I see from when I leave the theater at night and there's some people waiting um, the things that I get asked the most about now are um, my Big Fat Greek Wedding for many many years it was SCTV mm. and now it's We Loved You and My Big Fat Greek Wedding and some people, um, young people will say Head Big and the Angry Inch which always delights me because I thought John Cameron Mitchell did a brilliant job and I was so happy to be a young, beautiful, sexy woman <laughs> in Hedvig and the Angry Inch in the middle of my Big Fat Greek wedding. So that's – I don't know. You know, that – I don't always, know who we Always new with. audiences. New audiences. That's thank, You know what? Thank God. Thank God that there are new audiences really. It's an am- amazing that I've had any longevity and – that it continues, that I have opportunities. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Most women I know over 50, there I've said it, um, <laughs> you know, are having a hard time finding work. It's hard. It's hard out there. So I feel very grateful. Well, on that note, I think it's a great way to kind of wrap things up, Thanks. being grateful Thank and you. being terrific in Fiddler on the Roof currently here in New York as Golden. Andrea Martin, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking about myself for 45 minutes, doctors. (laughs) You will get our bill. (laughs) For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding everyone that these programs and all of the media and educational programs of the American Theater Wing are available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio. I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.